Welcome to the Broadcast Weekly News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's biggest TV news stories brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. Please make sure to follow us on at Broadcast Now on Twitter and check into broadcastnow.co.uk for more analysis. Each week, Broadcast team of industry-leading journalists will be providing analysis and insight on the stories that have been moving the dial on broadcastnow.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the first Broadcast Weekly News Wrap. Taking you through this week are Broadcast's senior reporter Max Goldbart and myself, Broadcast Insight Editor Jesse Whittock. This week, our debut episode will feature the latest on freelancers and their fight for financial support during the coronavirus crisis and look into Netflix's latest jaw-dropping subscriber numbers and a discussion on how producers are creating drama under lockdown conditions. Please note, this podcast was recorded on the afternoon of Thursday the 23rd of April before the latest update to HMRC's guidelines for its coronavirus job retention scheme. So, first subject, the saga of freelancers, Max, which has been one of the defining stories of the coronavirus for the television industry. You've been reporting on it quite significantly uh, in great volume, great depth. So, take us through the sort of latest developments. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. And uh, overjoyed to be part of the first of hopefully many broadcast news wraps. This is this for me personally as a reporter has been has been the defining issue when looking at how the the policy sweeping policy changes that have taken place over the past months or so have affected the TV sector uh, in particular, and it's something that that has hit the creative industries as a whole. But TV has has been hit particularly hard, and there are a lot of what's turned out to be quite nasty loopholes or quirks in the way that we in TV engage freelancers that have led us to a position where many more are missing out on government support than in the entirety of the population. Uh, so at the moment, when Rishi Sunak, he announced two schemes for government help. One is the job retention scheme, which is for fully employed staff, and one is for self-employed people. Uh, and he said at that point that 95% of those who needed help would get it. And he also said 95% of freelancers who needed help would get the help. But we're just finding at the moment that in, in TV, this figure of, of only 5% missing out seems to be a bit of a falsity. Various estimates have it between about 25 to 35% at least, could be even higher. There is a lot of clarity required in order that both freelancers and employers can know whether they're entitled to support in the first place. And as of recording on Thursday afternoon, the 23rd of April, there is still some clarity necessary. Just for some context, TV is one of those sectors that really does rely on a huge active freelance base, jumping on one production, six month contract, six week contract, six, you know, a week's long contract in some cases, and then moving on. So you can really see how if people are slipping through the safety net of, of being able to financially support themselves through this period there are massive implications as to what that might mean on the other side of the coronavirus lockdown massively it's really it's really hit home to me and i think it's hit home to so many people in the industry just just how reliant we are on the freelance workforce and at the same time just how precarious the freelance workforce is and, and if you think about it, that there are really quite large TV production companies. I, I was, uh, I think, two brothers 
is a good example. The, the, the producer behind Fleabag and a, a host of BBC One and ITV dramas, they've probably got about 10 staff. And that, that's reflective across many production companies that tend to really labor up when they need a lot of a lot of workers for a particular production or for a particular project but actually don't have that many staff and yet and yet uh, many many thousands of people work in the tv sector where we are at the moment about three or four weeks ago now the the freelancer the self-employed scheme and the coronavirus job retention scheme was announced and there is a big portion of the tv freelance workforce that falls in between those two schemes and they are the ones who are desperately trying to work out if they can get help from either side. So what's been a little bit confusing about this is that the people really missing out are those freelancers who, who are technically on a company's payroll. They are referred to as, they've, they've got a variety of different names, but PAYE freelancers or, or freelancers engaged on short-term PAYE contracts. And the issue for them was that they initially believed that being on these fixed term contracts meant that they wouldn't have access to either scheme. And there was a cutoff date of 28th February. And if you weren't on a company's payroll on the 28th of February or before, then you were not going to gain access to the coronavirus job retention scheme. So that cutoff following really, really good lobbying from industry bodies, that cutoff has been moved to the 19th of March. So that's helpful. But ultimately, January, February and March are a quiet time for freelancers. And in, in normal times, as we're all getting used to saying, that you might well find yourself as a freelancer not working in the first two or three months of the year and then really hitting the ground running from April onwards. So there are, I've, I've had so many emails, so, so many emails from people in really difficult positions where they may have been on a company's payroll on the 25th of February and then their job stopped and then two or three weeks passed and then they were due to start a job in late March or whatever and, and that, that job never happened and suddenly you're missing out just, just because of these kind of cruel technicalities. So the cutoff date has been extended to the 19th March which is good there's been some amazing goodwill from from super indies and indies across the board who've really wanted to help freelancers and and have been going above and beyond in order to do that but ultimately the goodwill doesn't extend to getting a loan in order that you can fund somebody's furlough when you as a company are, are struggling as much as you might be and we uh, put an article up which came from pact which is an alarming survey that finds that production companies in the UK have already lost over £250 million due to productions that are either on pause or have been cancelled. And possibly even more worrying is that over half of those indies that responded to the survey have cash reserves that last less than six months, which is a really short period of time. And it's obviously difficult to know when the lockdown will be over, but you sense that it could last for a few months, which leads you to the unfortunate conclusion that lots of companies could be really struggling. And unfortunately, that just doesn't marry up very well with the ability to rehire and then furlough lots of these freelancers. What many of these freelancers really want to happen is for PACT to update its guidelines itself so the indies who would tend to listen to PACT more than HMRC take note and start extending people's contracts or rehiring. But one of the problems is that because there has been so much confusion around this stuff, the last two or three weeks could have been an opportunity for indies to 
be extending people's contracts, preparing them to put them on the furlough scheme, but they haven't been because they've been waiting for the clarity and now they might have missed that opportunity depending on what happens with the HMRC guidelines. In the medium term, things don't look so good and I think there are estimates, again, the fact that I was saying earlier, uh, Rishi Sunak says 5% of freelancers will miss out, but there, there are estimates that because of this issue, that will be quadruple that. And once the HMRC guidelines change again, I doubt there'll be any more changes. So the hope is that guidance is, is really upended. But where we are is that the job retention scheme opened for applications a few days ago. The guidance can still change, but I think soon we'll find ourselves at a point whereby there is an acceptance that the scheme is what it is and the pressure unfortunately will have to stop and people might have to accept their position. And the wider context, this whole debate is sort of what the production sector looks like at the other end. So you would imagine freelancers must be looking at everything that's happened and will be desperately hoping that the shape of work in the TV production sector changes fundamentally so that they are more protected, so that they feel like the contracts they're signing mean more than what they're proving to be at the moment. And I guess from the indie side of it, beyond the kind of short-term terrifying financial situation that many of them are faced with, they'll also want to get to a situation where their position that they can take is much clearer and everyone seems to be wading through a really, really complicated situation. We're all obviously all hoping for some slightly more positive news. Definitely. And I would, I would just conclude, I suppose, by saying one thing that's become very apparent to me in the last few weeks, again, speaking to 50-odd freelancers, let's say, is that these people, they tend to be on the lower end of the wage brackets of, of freelancers. And it's not that they choose to be in this position. They don't choose to be on these precarious short-term contracts. They're told to do that by HMRC. And the fact that the moment a tragedy like this happens, and then you're suddenly missing out on support, it shouldn't put the freelancer out there as the kind of person who's just been evading tax for the past few years because you don't have to pay your national insurance or whatever it might be. I think so many freelancers would happily be employed if that's how the industry worked and if that's how the wider system worked. And looking long term, I think the industry will have to ask itself some serious questions about the makeup of that workforce and, and how we treat our freelancers. Moving on to something slightly more cheery, though, I think uh, there might have been some smiles in Los Angeles this week from Netflix and co. On the release of the Netflix Q1 results, we're all pretty across this at the moment. But Jesse, you've been you've been delving a little bit more into into what this means and also thinking a little bit more long term about whether Netflix can can keep this up. Yeah. So the Netflix story is the never ending positivity stream. Wall Street has always loved Netflix. Their share price has always been supported despite the big debts that it takes by ordering so much original content, which in turn sort of powers the subscription numbers. But ultimately, it just keeps delivering on big, big numbers and it keeps outperforming what people expect of it. So in its Q1 results, there was some pretty strong guidance from analysts as to what uh, they might deliver. It was expected they would do quite well. It turns out it's another record quarter. We're looking at 27% year-on-year revenue growth, delivered nearly $6 billion in revenue for Q1, and it's probably the reason why the stock markets are 
always happy to help them out with more cash for new shows. But the wider context here is Netflix has had such a booming period because of the conditions we're all living in. We're all at home. Loads of people are on furlough. There are more hours in the day for many people to watch more Netflix shows. More people watching Netflix means more hours being consumed. It means more people talking about Netflix and therefore ultimately it means more people subscribing to Netflix. So they added 15.7 million net additions internationally, that's including the US and Canada, to their subscription base, which is already, you know, getting close to 200 million, which mm. is pretty impressive considering that Disney Plus has just launched, that HBO Max is just about to launch, that you might even say that, that Quibi, the short-form mobile service, launched. Mm. So it looks on the face of it, like a really super positive result. But what we have looked into and what we've worked out, um, and particularly what the broadcast intelligence team have looked into, is exactly what this means for Netflix going forward. And ultimately, we're looking at a situation, and Netflix have actually appreciated this, and they've publicly commented on this themselves, that what's looking brilliant now might not look so brilliant in six months' time. I was going to ask you about this. Is it totally down to coronavirus, do we think? Or there are obviously some, some quite key launches in the quarter. Do you have any sort of rough estimates or thoughts on, on what would have happened had it been a normal quarter? Well, I think they would have done quite well because shows like Tiger King, shows like Too Hot to Handle, have popped and I can say personally that nine months ago I wasn't looking at those two shows as being defining new Netflix shows but they they clearly are and that ties into a slightly different but wider narrative on Netflix's push into unscripted programming which is one of the really interesting facets of, of Netflix at the moment for UK indies. So to an extent you could you have to appreciate Netflix's ability to spot a hit uh, ahead of time those shows are definitely driving subscriptions. Too Hot to Handle will no doubt drive younger 16 to 24 to take up the service or certainly to consume more of it. You can look at it two ways. I think the big issue will be with the premium dramas, which attract the slightly older uh, audiences to Netflix. They've launched several great shows in Q1. So the third series of Ozark, for example, dropped big ticket, big loud shows. Those shows are now not being produced, of course, because no one is producing anywhere. Hollywood is completely shut down at the moment. And that is a big problem for Netflix because they are so reliant on new shows. Um, their catalogs being depleted by the plethora of new SVOD services, spending big money to take back rights to shows that they might have produced 20 years ago, Friends, Seinfeld, things like that, which people like to binge on. And so Netflix's sort of deeper library is really being eaten into meaning that it has to have original shows. And the issue right now is what happens in six months' time when some of those original shows are not coming through. They've commissioned a lot of shows and perhaps they can window. Reed Hastings was keen to stress this point in the earnings call this week. And uh, shareholders, as, as Jonathan Broughton, our lead analyst, wrote, shareholders are being primed to expect flattening of results once the current crisis has reached its conclusion. So they're basically saying to the shareholders, you're going to have to give us some time at the other end because this is really, really hard to do. It seems like a bit of a double-edged announcement almost, making quite clear that, that they've done well and trying to downplay the fact that doing well now will be a problem in, in six months or so, but, but also there is an acceptance that, and as they've said to their shareholders, that will happen. What I think will be interesting is if the, the issue of lacking original content is sped up, 
because more and more people are watching Netflix now. And I think that will be something to look out for. If the original content well runs dry quickly or quicker than expected because of the lockdown, and at the same time, everyone's at home and millions of people are watching these Netflix originals, those people are going to expect more at a faster rate. And can you rely on audience expectation to understand nuanced points about production lockdowns? I'm not too sure about that. So I think I think that will be something to watch out for. And it's almost like the problem could become more exponential as expectations grow. And I think that's going to be something that, of course, Netflix uh, is particularly hamstrung by. But all of the streaming services, in order to differentiate themselves, need original content. And um, this kind of applies quite significantly to Quibi, Jeffrey Katzenberg's new mobile service. So it launched unexpectedly in the UK and in about 29 other territories, along with the US where it had been planned in, uh, I think it was at the start of this month. The idea behind that is has been completely undermined by coronavirus. Quibi means quick bites, right? So it's 10 minute content. There's no shows that are longer than 10 minutes. And the idea being you catch 10 minutes of your show whilst you're waiting for the bus or whilst you're three stops on the train or, or whatever it might be. It's those, it's those kind of down periods where you haven't got anything else to do, perhaps 10 minutes before you go to bed, something like that. It's launched with about 50 original shows, which is great. Dramas, unscripted, some UK indies have got some shows on there. For them, though, that well is going to run dry very quickly because they literally don't have the minutes because the shows are shorter. And if you're into you know, let's say reality TV and you're not into the dramas they've got, that, that makes that pool of content that they can offer even shorter. So Quibi is a really interesting example of how a service's kind of core premise has been undermined by something that no one could have foreseen coming. So you can, certainly can't blame the, the founders for, for having, you know, don't, not having a, a coronavirus contingency plan. They are talking now about allowing the service to run through TV sets, which at one point was, a, was the big no-no. They were saying that that's absolutely not the point of the service. They may well do that now. I think as, as much as Netflix has problems in terms of content supply, there may well be a lot more to look at in terms of how Quibi is able to get a foothold and build a proper subscriber base. Jeffrey Katzenberg was interviewed recently uh, on US television and uh, he, he talked about this 2.7 million figure they've got for app downloads. That's a good start, but when you consider that Disney Plus is well on its way to 50 and, and Netflix is nearing 200 million, it looks like there's going to be some serious conversations to be had to see the future of Quibi. And I think that a very, the Disney Plus versus Quibi over the past couple of weeks question is, is, very, you, you, you compare it in, in as much as you just look at the issues impacting either one. People are absolutely delighted to have access to Disney's library of films and TV shows while they're on lockdown, and that's Disney's USP. Quibi's USP was all about commuting, wasn't it? And it was all about those little bits of your day in between when you're a bit bored. It's almost like a, a podcast that you can watch, and that has been lost and uh, 2.7 million sounds fine. It's quite, sort of quite hard to know where, where that fits into anything, really, in terms of a, a short-form SVOD platform. But it's hard to imagine many people are now finding the time in their day to access Quibi when nobody is commuting anywhere. Would, would you watch it just after work while you're sat on your sofa? Who knows? But it does seem like that USP has been taken away 
while Disney Plus's USP has been boosted upwards? So while the SPOD services around the world have really built their reputations on big high-end dramas, we at Broadcast have been looking into how under the coronavirus lockdown, drama can be produced and whether it is even a viable genre. For the first time this week, we've seen that apparently it is. A, an announcement made at the end of last week by ITV that they were about to start filming what they described as uh, isolation dramas. You've been looking into this a bit, Max. What, what can we find out? It's been a week of, uh, of self-isolation drama commissions. It remains to be seen just how popular these will be. But the, the BBC kicked off. This was, this was actually uh, a few weeks ago. The BBC have, have called for some self-isolation shorts, I think they titled them as. We've got Jeff Pope over at ITV Studios, who's doing these four isolation stories. Uh, he describes the casting process as, as phenomenally difficult, which, which is quite funny when you look at the fact that pretty much every ITV acting stalwart is in these dramas. So there's a few of those from ITV, some, some YouTube self-isolation dramas and S4C as well, the, the Welsh language uh, broadcaster. So, so it, it does seem to be that the broadcasters are rallying around and, and seeing what they can do. Uh, to, to try and keep drama on air. I think, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Jesse, but there, there is a little bit of a question mark over whether that's what the viewer really wants to see at, at the moment. Watching Sheridan Smith in her living room contrasts with the, the multitude of SVOD subscriptions and BBC iPlayer back catalogue dramas that, that people have access to. And I do wonder if this is something that people want to really watch at the moment. But you're absolutely right. There's a huge number of dramas out there and most services have big catalogues of drama. Even the, the um, VOD services in this country have absolutely masses of really good dramas. And it's, and it's unlikely that most viewers will have watched all of those um, so there is a question as to whether people want to watch more Zoom videos. I, I, I guess to an extent it will be the, the the proof will be in the pudding it, and, and how these shows are shot will define how successful they are. Uh, and I mean, I'm very interested to see how creative you can get when you're shooting in the living room. And perhaps in some cases it might be your, uh, it might be the actor's um, other half or family member actually shooting that video. But, you know, good on them for, for trying. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how it goes down. As you mentioned, there are some YouTube series that have been developed. Um, there is a show called Done Breeding, which is themed around the menopause. That's got some top British talent, people like Julie Graham. And they are creating that themselves. They're going to put it out on YouTube. Uh, I'm talking to Julie next week. So I'm going to find out more about how that will play out then. But it's, it was good to see uh, people are still interested and still trying to do drama because there was a period where it looked like there might be a complete shutdown of that side of the industry. And Neighbours is back, of course, which is, uh, which is very exciting. Well, I mean, the that, Neighbours that's, that's, that's the thing that we were all worried about. So um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a delight to hear that it's gone back. Some very interesting ways that uh, the Australian producers of Neighbours uh, have managed to get that show back into production. There's sort of sensing um, um, rules been put in place and certain parts of the studio being used, different teams being uh, employed around the same shots so that if someone is thought to be um, showing symptoms of COVID-19, there are ways they can get shots done. So yeah, really, really interesting, really um, innovative ways of creating new drama. I sense it will be 
a little while until the the English soaps go go back into um, get back into action. To be honest, but I think something else it's it's been the week of the self isolation drama shorts. But also for me, fo following commissions quite closely, it's been a week where lots of the channel heads or, or genre controllers have made quite clear that they are not only looking to fill the schedules in the next couple of months with fast turnaround corona related self-isolation stuff uh, and we, we've had interviews in the past week with with Fatima Solaria at Channel 4 with Dan McGulpin at the BBC who's the iPlayer controller and he also is in charge of scheduling so he has a really good oversight of what the BBC wants and we were also listening to Ben Frau he was on the media show last weekend and all of them in a sense indicating that what they want indies to pitch them probably in the majority are ideas that can be made post lockdown and it's not all about filling those schedules in the next couple of months and Dan Dan McGulpin specifically I spoke to him earlier earlier this week and he talked about not wanting to lower that bar by flooding the BBC schedules with lower quality user generated content which is albeit impressive you've got to consider the the audience and consider the viewer and i don't know how forgiving an audience member can be of constant user generated content i think you have to be quite clever with it so i think that we've been hearing this from indies for the past couple of weeks and for me this is the week when the commissioners and the controllers have, have stepped out and, and on the record put something towards this. You're absolutely right. The the counterpoint to the, the dramas that have been commissioned this week is that we reported that Channel 4 have furloughed a significant number of comedy and drama commissioners, setting their stall out that they clearly aren't going to sort of get involved in this type of commissioning. Carolyn Hollick and, and a couple of other execs will be working, and but, but that looks much more like that's going to be on development of shows further down the line. Um, I'd be very surprised if they decided to make any short-term commissions. I don't think we'll be hearing any, any announcements next week. Almost certainly they'll make an announcement now. I've said that. I think a lot of what we talked about today, Max, is what happens in six nine to nine months when we think we'll be out of self-isolation and we think businesses will be back up. What we can talk about, though, is what we've actually been watching, Max. What have you been? What have you had on the box? I started Money Heist this week. It's not a it's not a new show, but it's it's what I was <laughs> when I was thinking about the self isolation drama shorts. I did think to myself, why why would I want to watch Sheridan Smith in her kitchen when I can watch this fantastic Spanish language show that's really expensive about a heist? And it's it's I'm three episodes in. Uh, and it certainly hasn't disappointed so far. One, one to recommend from me, actually. Uh, I'm, I have been excited for, for a little while and I'm very excited for Sunday when BBC Three is set to drop normal people as a box set. This is an adaptation of a fantastic book by Sally Rooney set in Ireland uh, about the relationship between the son of a cleaner and a far more wealthy but rather unhappy woman who lives across town. It's a, it's a really fantastic story. It's 12 by 30 minutes, which is quite an interesting approach to drama. It, it breaks free of the uh, the traditional six, six by one hour. Certainly can be binged. We have a review up on our website from our sister publication, Screen Daily, which, which speaks of it really highly. Uh, and that's something that I'm really looking forward to over the next week. I've also been watching a Netflix drama. Uh, I've, I've had the third season of Ozark keeping me entertained. For those who don't know that show, it's about an accountant who moves to uh, backwater part of America called the Ozarks 
uh, where he has to launder money for the for the mob um, in order to keep his family safe. Stars Jason Bateman. It's very funny. It's very dark. It's, um, is it getting better as the series go through? Yeah, I, it's it's one of those shows where it feels like everything that happens is too fantastical, but at the same time, it's gripping enough that you just go with it. I'd, I'd kind of put something like Breaking Bad in the in the same same sort of genre. Uh, it has been compared to Breaking Bad several times, and I think those comparisons are fair in that they are very brilliant shows that really do kind of like demand you suspend your disbelief but whatever reason the production quality the acting you do i'm more than happy to to do that throughout this whole third series um and looking forward to seeing how that ends um but equally when i'm not watching shows about mobsters and money laundering uh, i've been binge watching the great british menu um outrageous outrageous choice i'm not sure that's how they decided to uh (laughs) how they they initially envisaged it being watched but i'm I'm not sure netflix will be buying up the great british menu back catalog anytime soon but but we shall see you never know um it's a great format um probably doesn't get talked about enough and it is i would say it's testament to the bbc that it has two really really strong cooking formats on its main channels the other being MasterChef of course and um, yeah I've just been really enjoying it it's a it's a fun show it's well made they've made some tweaks for the latest series which is the 15th uh, there are some extra rounds put in for the cooks to undertake the slot has changed it's moving more towards prime and I don't know if I think those changes are good or bad at this stage but what I do know is I've watched a lot of it so obviously they have hooked me I think it's quite an underrated show. I think it's one of those that just falls into that category, doesn't it? Of once you get to season number 10 plus, people stop talking about you, but you continue to, to rate quite well and, and it's really enjoyable. And it's good to hear there's been a bit of a format tweak as well, keeping things fresh over on BBC Two. That's probably a, quite a nice note to end the first broadcast weekly news wrap. hope you've enjoyed listening. Max and I have certainly enjoyed having a natter about telly. Uh, do come back same time same place next week we're hoping to have more broadcast journalists and broadcast team members involved in this podcast so hopefully this will just give you a little bit of a flavor of what we do uh, week in week out and thank you again